Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We are going to take this simple verse from Galatians that we've been looking at, uh, and we're going to highlight this end word, uh, or end on the slide, there's more words. Um, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Today we're looking at patience. And I want to look at three questions to help us meditate on this verse or if that sounds too spiritual for you churn over this verse chew over this verse think well about this verse and the three questions that are going to help us are as follows Uh, what is patience number two why is patience so hard and number three how does the gospel of Jesus create patient people And the idea is that not that you would simply leave knowing some things about patience, but that you would go back to the context you just shared about, whether that's that you struggle with YouTube ads and you get really angry with them, or whether it's at the other end of the spectrum and it's much more serious, it's much more real, it's a time of waiting in your life that feels endless and it's hard to hold on by your fingernails, my hope is that we would be equipped to truly be more patient in our lives. But time is short, and I don't want you to get impatient with me, so let's dive in. Number one, what is patience? When preparing for this morning, I looked up the word that's used in this verse in a few other translations, and I found that in two or three of the older translations, a different word is used, and in reading it, it sparked a huge amount of life and depth and challenge and thought in me, so much so that I wanted to spend the whole of our talk meditating on that word with you. And the word is Long-suffering, long-suffering, which makes our sentence in Galatians say something incredibly scandalous. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, long-suffering. Now, I'm no Greek uh, scholar or indeed a scholar of any sort. But as far as I can see, the meaning of long-suffering is quite clear. It means to suffer long. (laughs) What is it to be patient? It means to suffer long, to be able and willing to suffer long. To be able and willing, if you want to put it another way, to do something harder than you'd choose for longer than you'd choose. And I just want to ask you, is that what you realize you're praying for when you pray for the Spirit of Jesus to work in your life? When you're singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Better than that. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. Do you realize you're praying for the ability to suffer at length. (laughs) Now, to be clear, it's not saying that the Holy Spirit is throwing suffering at us. It's not saying the Holy Spirit saw a little bit of suffering in your life that was going to last a day, and he's trying to eke it out over a decade because he's trying to give you long suffering. That's not what it's saying. 
But it is saying that one of the major objectives of God in your life and in our church is that when the inevitable suffering of life comes our way, in small or big ways, that we would somehow be able and even willing, when required, to suffer long. What is patience? It's long-suffering. Which helps us, I think, with our second question. Why is patience, or what we'll now call it, long-suffering, so hard? Do you know why it's hard? Because it's suffering long And that's hard. And that's hard in any context and any culture. But in our culture, the 21st century Western culture, that is relentlessly and religiously and zealously opposed to two types of experience. Anything that takes a long time and anything that involves suffering. Is it any wonder that we find this stuff tricky? Because in our culture, we pour ourselves out Throw our money away, gladly, in pursuit of anything that would make my life feel more efficient, more quick, more comfortable. Almost every institution in our society, almost every invention, every device in your house is designed to get us closer to the holy trinity of efficiency, ease and comfort. Just a few examples, I was going to bring them, but I thought I might break them, and I thought that might test some patience in my house, so I'm going to tell you about some things in my house. We have this magic thing in our kitchen called a magic water jug. You might know it as a kettle. This thing, we open it, and we turn, not go to a well, not go to a river, not go to a spring. We turn on the magic silver tube, in our room, and clean water comes out of it, and we put the little magic water jug under it, and we fill the magic water jug, and we don't have to light a fire, we don't have to get wood, and we stick it on the little magic jug base, and we click the little magic jug button. And I go and have a wee and brush my teeth, and I come back, and I have boiling water in my house. Have you ever thought about that? That is incredible. Then next to the, 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 the kettle, I have this thing, this little circle thing, stick it on the side, got it for Christmas three years ago, it's called an Alexa Echo Dot, little smart speaker thing that my sister bought us. And I can ask it any question, and within a few seconds, it will give me the answer. I can order a book, and it will come the next day. I can get it to sing to me, I can make it let me sing to it, I can set alarms on it, timers, all just by speaking. And it's ever so polite to me. It thanks me. It apologizes if it didn't understand me. Lovely. And then just on the top of the fridge, we won't talk about the fridge, but that is mind-blowing, isn't it? We have this thing called a slow cooker. A slow cooker. And you say, well, that one ruins it because that's about slowing things down. But a slow cooker is not about slowing down cooking. It's about speeding up prep. It should be called a quick prepper. (laughs) The whole thing is designed to enable me in my frantic, relentless, busy, tiring life to put in a bit of effort quickly, then leave, apply no diligence or care, and return after my burnout day and sit on my sofa and pretend that I've 
eliminated hurry from my life because I'm having this curry that's really tender, but really this device has done it for me and I have had no effort required. One more. This thing here that's telling me I'm mildly behind in my talk is a phone. This is a relatively smashed up, got more smashed up this week, old uh, iPhone. I don't know what number it is. But do you know that the clock app that's running here, just the clock app, has in it a higher processing speed, and I don't really know what that means, but a higher processing speed than the computer that took Apollo 11 full of astronauts to the moon. And do you know how much quicker the clock app on this that I slept with next to my head last night, how many times quicker this is than the rocket that took astronauts to the moon? 120 million times quicker the speed of this app than the computer that took a rocket to the moon. I don't really know how that works, but I Googled that three times and I asked Alexa and she said it was right. I am holding something 120 million times more powerful than a space rocket. Our culture that we find ourselves in has science fiction levels of speed and comfort and efficiency available to us. Now, is any of that stuff wrong in and of itself? No. Is speeding things up, making them more efficient or relieving suffering bad? No. These things are good when received as blessings, but when speed and comfort are elevated to idols that we worship, then it is dangerous and destructive and deadly. And here's why. What makes this all turn sinister is when I demand that every area of my life feels quick and easy as well. Because then I think it's not just a blessing that I have some stuff to make my dinner cook quicker. I think it is my human right that all of life be quick and easy. And then, accidentally, this isn't like a moral lecture, I'm not having a go at you about this, it's just the air we breathe in our culture. Accidentally, I become totally entitled, totally ill-equipped to deal with anything that takes any time, anything that's hard, and I end up unthinkingly, chronically, toxically impatient. And then what happens is I start demanding that my community group relationships get warm as quickly as my kettle does. And if they don't, and then I demand that my two-year-old responds to me as quickly and as submissively as Alexa. And if they don't, then I unload on them. And then we start to demand that our career be heating up nicely like my slow cooker with just as little ongoing diligence and effort. And when it doesn't happen, we have a crisis of calling and change job every two months. And then we start to demand that all our relationships in the church, parental relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, should be as instant and easy as typing the word porn into a browser, clicking go. 
And when they're not as easy and as quick as that, as actual human relationships, (laughs) they're just not as quick and easy as that, then we find this horrific thing that we're almost bored with actual people. And it all seems too much like hard work, and I'll just stay at home. Ultimately, we start to demand that God comes through for us as easily and quickly as our phone. And when the infinite, mysterious God of heaven doesn't seem to show up quite quickly enough in my first two quiet times, then we throw in the towel and soon we're considering deconstructing our faith, putting it on Instagram. Because if we lose God, at least Instagram likes are quick. In this cultural moment, it is no wonder that we struggle with patience. And like Chris said so wisely, left to ourselves, without any intentionality and a radical wake-up call that's going to change us, we'll just age into more and more impatience. But here is the good news. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Patience, long-suffering. And the Holy Spirit in every culture, in every age, has always had to unpick idols in the church and in his people. He's always had to untangle mess that the culture gets us into. He's always had to do that, and he's very, very, very good at it. And so he can do it in us. He can change us. He can restore us, rewire us, so that our instincts are different and bear the fruit of God even in this culture. And his main tool to change us and grow fruit in us is the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, the good news about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, future return of Jesus of Nazareth. That story, that reality, those events, past, present, and future, when the Spirit takes them and applies them into us afresh... It's the power of God, not just to save us in the past, but to save us in the present and make us more like Jesus. But how does the good news of Jesus create patient or long-suffering people? I want to look at three truths and then we'll be done. Firstly, the gospel shows us that God does his best work over long periods of time. We read stories in the Bible, don't we? Or if we don't, because it didn't feel good quick enough, then we hear them on a Sunday and we think, wow, their lives were full of action, relentless pace, God bursting in at every corner. But we miss the fact that in between the little letters on your page and the little words and the little sentences and the confusing paragraphs and the massive books in the Bible are a multitude of Minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries that go by before and between all the highlights that you learn about in the kids' work. Think of just one story. Abraham, an old man, given a promise that from him would come a nation too numerous to count, descendants that you cannot count. They're so plentiful. And even more than that, that his future one-day ancestor, his seed, would somehow bring blessing to every nation on earth. And we think, wow, what a promise. 
God hasn't done much in my life today, though. But do you know how long it was from God's promise to the promised child being born? And I'm not talking about Jesus, the promised child. I'm talking about the first promised child who unhelpfully, for a preacher in a church, I don't really remember the name of that child. Ed, what's the name of Abraham's child? Isaac. I knew. I was just testing. (laughs) I'm talking about the gap between when God promised Abraham, you will have descendants of plenty to the time when he gets the first. And do you know how long that is? 25 years. It's a few sentences in your Bible. That is from now, 2021, to 2046. Before the, not before it's complete, before the first thing happens. That's going back to 1996. And it only just beginning today. Do you know what? God does his best work over time. Would Abraham have been right to deconstruct his faith and walk away? No, he would have missed the greatest work that God was doing in the world. They were right to be patient. They were right to suffer long. God is, he's he's very inefficient, but he's never late. He's always right on time. And do you know what? As I was preparing this and I did my maths and went back to 1996. In 1996, two people in this room, Jonathan and Helen Bell, came to this city called Birmingham with a desire to see many people added. And I would, I've not talked to them about this before I, I give this talk, but I would imagine that every day of that 25 years has felt difficult and has felt like, is this going to happen? And has felt like setback and b- betrayal and, and bumps in the road and, 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 and shall we throw in the towel? And yet right now, 25 years on, there's Church Central South meeting here. There's Church Central West meeting right now in Harborn. There's Church Central North meeting wherever North is in King's Standing. And there's Church Central East in this very moment in time, baptizing three people in Central House in Highgate. Because even though every single day feels hard, God does his best work over time. And I want to thank you for your long suffering. Thank you. And the best is yet to come. Ultimately, we see this in the Lord Jesus when we remember that in the fullest display of the kindness and love of God there will ever be the cross of Jesus. God actually took his time. It was so planned from eternity past that Jesus is referred to as the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth. But day after day of actual life of human history occurred, year after year Millennia after millennia before God did it. Directly before Jesus comes to the world, there is 400 years of silence and seeming inactivity. That is like nothing happening in our world spiritually that we can note down in the Bible at least since 1621. That is a dry spell. But as the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent Jesus. And even then, he grows up, and he's so slow. He takes 30 years to even begin his ministry. Three years of teaching and miracles, where at every point he doesn't rush. And instead, his little phrase he brings out all the time in John's, John's gospel, my hour has not yet come. Nope. 
not yet. No, hour's not yet come. And he never runs. I can't think of a story where he runs. He tells a story about a father who runs out after a lot of patience. I don't remember a story of Jesus running. Correct me at the end. But he walks everywhere infuriatingly slowly, letting people touch him, come to him. Little children get in the way. Get them away, say the religious ones. Let them come, says Jesus. I've got all the time in the world. Friend dies. John's gospel says he loved him, so he waited. What is this? And then Romans says, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Completely inefficient and never late. God's best work takes time. Now, how does that apply to YouTube ads? Does that make delays easy? No. Does that make really hard waiting easy? No, but it teaches us, it restores us, it reprograms us not to assume that just because something's taking some time, nothing worthwhile is happening. To, to, that, that assumption that speed must be the best thing for my joy. That that flipping two-year-old getting in the car seat so I can go and preach about patience <laughs> is the best thing for my life. Or maybe God is inefficient, but maybe he's always on time. No times of waiting are wasted. They are fertile ground for the rich work of God in our lives. Second truth, God does his best work through suffering. Want to be long-suffering? He's good at the long thing, and he does his best work through suffering. Do you know, when we get to the new creation, we'll see that God has rid the world of suffering. He's rescued the world of suffering. He's removed suffering. But more beautiful, more substantial, more unspeakably glorious will be the realisation in our lives that he hasn't just been removing it, he's been redeeming it. Not simply sweeping it away, sweeping it to the side, but sweeping it up into the tapestry of his grace that he's weaving in our lives. Romans 5 verse 3 says something else, incredibly scandalous, that is hard to hear, but that in God's hands, suffering and hardship is not only painful, it's actually producing something. We also, says Paul, glory in our sufferings. Why? Because he loves sufferings? No, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. He goes on to say character, hope, and on and on. And that is not God laughing at your pain, laughing at your delays, eking it all out just for the sake of it, saying it's character building like an annoying granny. It's him coming to us in our pain and in our delay and saying, I know this is so hard. But even though this culture is telling you that the meaning of your life is to have your pain removed and until then your life is on hold... I'm here with good news, a better story, that yes, one day your suffering will be removed. But until that day, every single other day it is being redeemed. To not take you further from the meaning of your life, but ever, ever, ever nearer to it, to him. And ultimately, again, we see this in Jesus 
that the best thing that God has ever done was achieved not by ending pain, but by entering pain and enduring pain. And through that pain, through that suffering, because of that very hardship, as Jesus dies and is defeated, it's the very moment when God's greatest victory is achieved. The cross shows us that the darkest moments of our lives in God's hands will be the background upon which his light shines brightest. And that doesn't make suffering easy. But it equips us to dare to believe that it might not be the end of us. and could even be the making of us. And so we can be patient. Third thing, and we'll finish here, God himself suffers long with us. I tell you what, if God had walked away from me every time today that I'd taken longer than I could have done to obey him, every time I returned to my chains that he freed me from and put them back on, every time I unload at my kids in petulant, merciless frustration, forgetting their fragile frame. All of the ways that I am further back in my Christian life than really I should be or could be. But that he is still there. He is still with me. He is still committed to me. And I might be the chief of sinners, the stupidest sheep. The stupid is shepherd. But my Jesus long suffers with me. He's the best shepherd, even to stupid sheep. And he knows my frame. He knows I am dust. He gets every right because of who he is, to demand my instant perfection and yet graciously walks with me in my stumbling slow progress. He promises to me that the work I have begun in you, I will surely bring to completion, however long it takes. And I feel like the Apostle Paul in not very many ways, but at least in this way, when he says in 1 Timothy, God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And in the translations that are a bit older, that word is his great long-suffering. God suffers long with me. He therefore suffers long with you. And as we dare to admit how patient God has to be with us, and as we dare to enjoy how patient God truly is with us, then to riff off one John, I can suffer long with others because he first suffers long with me.